The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now, you're very welcome back to The Last Word here on Today FM. Danny McConnell of the Irish Examiner sitting in for Matt. Now, we're now joined by Joe O'Shea and Jennifer Gannon here in studio to discuss all things TV and streaming. Now, we're going to start unusually with Jennifer, your pick of the week. Yeah, It's Conversation with Friends and it's on Orchie on Wednesday at 25 to 10. And it really couldn't be anything else. I couldn't pick anything else for this week. I mean, I think everybody is waiting with bated breath to see if Lenny Abrahamson and everyone else can reproduce that magic. That for was those norm- not in the know, this people. is the successor to the hit show Normal yeah. People. Yeah, It's so a different book. But it's, it's a different book. It was uh, Sally Rooney's uh, first novel and it's all... It's very different in a way to normal people. It's all about power plays within relationships and about, you know, the intensity of romance is still there like normal people and any, you know, graphic sex scene fans out there, there is a lot of sex in it. So don't worry, you can ring Joe Duffy at some stage during the week, I'm sure. I think we're past that um, as a nation, are we? <laughs> but I don't know. We were very shocked last time with normal people. That was where all the controversy came from. It was like a lot of nakedness. But I think normal people was so powerful for us because it was during the pandemic and it was such a slow story that unfolded every week and people were really engaged with it you weren't binging it you had to wait and that kind of anticipation grew and you just had these two dynamite lead roles you know with the star making turn from Paul Meskel who felt like it came from nowhere and now he's at the Met Gala engaged to Phoebe Bridgers and I think this is the thing you know newcomer Alison Oliver she's going to be playing Francis the main character in it it's a really tough ask I think for her to hold this on her shoulders because all eyes will be on her so it's about Francis and Bobby they're two Trinity students in their 20s and they Trinity again us UCD people are so neglected neglected. but their relationship fizzled out now they're friends and they both write poetry and they come to the attention uh, they're at a reading uh, of an older woman an established writer and photographer Melissa and her husband Nick and Frances subsequently begins an affair with Nick uh, which she says in the book she's only doing ironically, which I think is really funny, but it has far reaching consequences on all four characters. We actually have a clip so let's take a quick listen. Would it depress you to sleep with someone who loves someone else? Not if they love me too. Thought that maybe I wasn't capable of love. That there was something wrong with me. That isn't true. I know they're married, but I thought he was funny. Do you have a crush on her? Obviously, I have a crush on her. I have this impulse to be available to you all the time. I don't want to hurt your marriage. My marriage has survived several affairs already. I've just never been party to them. I kissed Melissa. We've been flirting when it just happened. Who knows what happens between two people when they're alone? I've never had sex with a man before. My entire romantic history is just Bobby. You're thinking things and not saying them. It's suspicious. What we're doing is insanely risky. Is there something you want out of this? Nick likes to tell people what they want to hear. Now I know. Francis. I'm in love with you and you obviously don't feel the same. Lately, I feel like I'm watching you disappear. I think I thought about the reality or consequences. Not afraid of anything at all. 
with that is the trailer uh, released by Hulu for the US uh, for conversation with friends. Joe O'Shea, can lightning strike twice? Because it's fair to say the reviews for this have been mixed. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of mopey people and I probably won't <laughs> be watching this either. Um, the complicated sex lives of poetry writing Trinity grads is not exactly yes. It doesn't say much to me about my life, as Morrissey once sang. Um, listen, it's it's probably going to find an audience. It, it almost certainly will. I'm not sure it's going to be as big as the last one because, it, you know, the, the, the last one was obviously a product of the pandemic in many ways and it took on a kind of a life of its own and became huge on social media and everybody was talking about it and there was the hilarious Joe Duffy live line kind of debates as well. I'm not sure this is going to get anywhere close to that kind of impact. Now, over the weekend we obviously had Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Nine million people yes. in the UK watched this. What, the, well, like, what has Eurovision still got? Everything. That <laughs> you can never count out the popularity of the Eurovision even though I won't forgive them I will never forgive them for us not getting through this year because I think That's Rich by Brooke is one of the best entries we've had in over a decade I think but the audience figures are always going to be super high I think because it's an occasion outside of sporting events where you can actually feel patriotic I don't care about sports but I care deeply about when you're you're watching Eurovision and it's Aside from the high propensity of sad boy ballads this year, which were insufferable, there was the madness of something like Moldova and Norway and they had these banana wolves people with their masks on in shades and Serbia, your one washing her hands and the true pop spectacle of something like Spain. It's still something that is just so enjoyable and anyone can get involved in and anyone can watch and, and just, you know, pop in for the night and watch a couple like a, a songs and head off or whatever. And its it, it, popularity never wanes because of that, because of that appeal. It's had a, a much more far reaching appeal, I think, than we give it credit for. Like, and it smashed the ratings in the UK, uh, you know, 9 million, as we said, and it's more even than the FA Cup final. This is going to come to Joe, yeah. the FA Cup final, Liverpool versus Chelsea, like, Six million people watched that as well. I mean, it was a now obviously the numbers peaked at eight million uh, when the penalties kicked off, but I mean they're pretty sizable numbers. Yeah, it's actually it was a great weekend for traditional uh, network TV because between the Eurovision and the FA Cup final, uh, the huge, huge numbers and everybody watching. Um, the FA Cup final, even though you know it was no goals in 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 uh, ordinary time and extra time, it did bring in a huge audience and it was it did peak of course because everybody loves penalty shootouts. So it was um, you know ITV and BBC covered. ITV only got like a. a peak of 2.6 million BBC did far better so you're wondering it seems to be that as well that people still tune into the BBC for those big events but you know it's great everybody had a, a great weekend whether you like Eurovision as I do uh, or, or sports it was a fantastic are you weekend. a diehard like Jennifer and Joe in terms of the, the Eurovision yeah, I mean, you know, I, I noticed you kind of talked to her about the Eurovision and talked to me about the sports, which is very, very gender uh, specific or, or whatever you want This is an open conversation. <laughs> I have no boundaries here. <laughs> no, the Eurovision, the Eurovision is fantastic. The only thing I didn't like about the Eurovision this year was that, you know, it was always, always, always going to be the Ukraine. Yeah. And, you know, it, I did feel sorry uh, for, for, for the English because they came last two years in a row. It looked like, um, watch, you know, watching it on Twitter Twitter, as we all, we do with all of these big events, all of the English, all the British would think, hey, we're fine, this is our year, we're finally going to win. And the public vote comes along and, of course, they get blown out of the water. It was always going to be the Ukraine. So that was a bit disappointing because it wasn't really that sort of like, for me anyway, uh, that kind of like, you know, uh, suspense. But it was a, an incredible show again, brilliant production, and you just can't beat the Eurovision. Now, Jennifer, one of the mm. things that has caught a lot of people's eye in recent times is the staircase. Yes. So- However... 
the original director is not happy. It's very strange because like you're in this kind of thing where you have a dramatic retelling of something that was an original documentary. So it looks like yeah, the original director of The Staircase, the 13-part docuseries, uh, Jean-Javier de Lestrade, he is really upset with the, the drama series because he his crew his base is in this series. Um, and in the most recent episode, start, it starts Colin Firth and Tony Collette. It's available on TV if anybody hasn't seen it. But in episode five, it delves into the documentary the making of the documentary itself and it's putting this story across that his team actually edited footage in order to sway the outcome of the appeal um, against Michael Peterson and that's a really intense, like I mean it, it, something acclaimed to put across I think and the director is saying like he feels really betrayed and that this wasn't the case at all and I think prestige adaptations of podcasts and documentaries are so popular right now like we've had, because it is a kind of familiar IP already, people are already aware of the story of The Staircase, you can watch the documentary on Netflix if you want and we've had everything from Inventing Anna to you know the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos drama in um, The Dropout and the WeWork scandal in We Crashed and there's another one, the Michelle Carter story that's coming up, The Girl from Plainville, starring Elle Fanning. Uh, that's based on the documentary um, I Love You Now Die. And I do wonder sometimes, when we have the primary source, why do we need to have these dramatic retellings? Because as you see with this, that is very problematic yeah. to accuse somebody of you know skewing something like this documentary that is such a massive success worldwide. It's kind of the same thing with um, we had Making a Murderer as well. You're only seeing like one side yes. of it. And the truth is stranger than fiction most times. So I do wonder why we need the, the need for this is. Is it just because we want to see Hollywood stars taking on these roles? Joe, is it, sorry, can I just bring Joe? Joe, is it just something that maybe like because and we see a lot of rehashes of old stories and it's just maybe it's, it's an industry struggling to find ways of telling stories and they, they have to resort to these sort of techniques, which may, may or may not be OK. Yeah, because they're chasing audiences, and the audiences are all in the in at the moment. Podcasts are a thing, and the and, and documentaries are a thing, uh, and so they they know that these are great stories. They know that they already people are familiar with them. People might have followed and seen them documentary series. They might have seen you know Tiger King, for instance. And you get dramatizations coming out of that. You they can't the HBO and and Netflix they can't help themselves. They see these huge audiences there, but what happened here was fairly bizarre because why did they even have to do this you know the the, uh, the producer on the original documentary which won you know was an award winning peabody award winning documentary he actually you know wrote a letter to, to campus and said you've got you've got to take it out take that out of, of episode five because you, you've crossed the line you're accusing the original documentary makers of trying to influence a very you know a an actual criminal case they didn't and I don't think this is going to end and it's going to become more and more problematical because when you do come to dramatise these stories the, the writers they can't help themselves they want to throw in you know everything that they can and they are going to take liberties with it Jennifer very quickly mm. the BBC are to invest 10 million pounds to double the number of comedy pilots in a bid to find their next Fleabag. Yeah, I know I'm happy that they're willing to, you know, invest in original comedy, but the thing is Fleabag is a one-off, like, and I think people like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and someone like Michaela Cole, who did, you know, Chewing Gum and I May Destroy You, and, you know, This Country's Daisy May Cooper, they don't just happen in a vacuum. I think with Fleabag, that was on stage, it was in the theatre, so maybe you should think about investing in theatre, invest, like with someone like Daisy May Cooper, invest in working class, you know, writing workshops. They need to broaden their scope because they were saying, you know, oh, we want another comedy like Motherland or another comedy like Ghosts. And they're very, you know, in their own way, cosy kind of middle mm. class 
like comedies in themselves and I think they're by established people because Sharon Horgan was behind one of the writers behind Motherland and I think what they need to do is strike out and find somebody like even Daisy Haggard who did Back to Life which was just such a brilliant comedy and it's about finding what's not Fleabag that's what they should be doing finding what like not the next Fleabag but the anti-Fleabag something completely different and I think if they're narrowing that to to this is all we want because we wanted it to be this worldwide success, success and win BAFTAs and win you know Emmys and get put on to Amazon I think it's the wrong way of going about things Very good Joe to finish up with you your pick of the week is Growing Up in Direct Revision Yeah it's on RT1 at 9.35pm tonight Uh, it's a 60 minute one off doc I couldn't get a lot of information off RT uh, but basically what they're doing is we know there's 8,000 people still in Direct Revision we know it's a very controversial uh, thing we know that there have been the government has said that they want to phase it out and that that is going to happen apparently many of the people in Direct Revision are, are under 18 and a lot of them have been you know, born in Ireland or brought here very young to Ireland. Uh, refugees are very much in the news at the moment, that whole, you know, what's going on with the Ukraine and people coming here. This is going to look, uh, it was filmed over nine months, looking at the sum of the young people who know, no, who know no other life than living in direct provision. So I think it's going to be a very interesting, very important documentary. It's called Growing Up in Direct Provision, RT1, 9.35 tonight. Jennifer Gannon and Joe Shea, thank you both very much for joining us here on The Last Word. <laughs> The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.